0: Amen. Well, appreciate you guys bearing with us this morning. I know it's a little bit maybe less than ideal way to start our Sunday morning with no power and and doing our Bible study time in the dark for a period, but appreciate you guys sticking with us. And and now we come to our time of preaching and teaching God's Word. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, if you'll turn there, and we're going to begin, I think, a a two-week session in verses 18 through 27. This is a fairly monumental portion of John's epistle, 1 John 2, 18 through 27, and we're going to consider truth and lies, Christ and antichrist. That's the text before us today, and I describe this passage as monumental because John sets forth a clear dividing line between those who are of Christ and those who are children of the devil who remain in their sin and will pay the ultimate penalty for their sin. This is the greatest separation in all of history and all of eternity. Those who oppose Christ will pay for their sins for eternity in hell, receiving the just condemnation for their sin. Those who are in Christ, to the other end of the spectrum, look forward to experiencing the worship of, and the glorious presence of the God of all righteousness for all eternity. And so John sets forth this great divide. To fall on the wrong side of this matter is not like being on the wrong side of a cultural issue in our day. It's really not even like being on the wrong end of of some doctrinal disputes. The, the, The consequences of falling on the wrong side of John's instruction here are eternal, and that's why this passage is monumental. We live in an age where many who would call themselves evangelicals have softened on what does true conversion look like. We're talking about evangelism this month on Sunday evenings for the rest of the month, and one thing we have to understand is what the world says about change and conversion is not always what Scripture says. And so many who would call themselves followers of Christ have softened on what true conversion looks like, and then they even put themselves outside the camp of true Christians because they also soften what is required of true faith. They change the gospel message. They change the requirement of faith and repentance. They say that salvation is by something other than grace alone, and by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. But we come to John's instruction where he is clear, he is dividing, he is insightful, and he glorifies the Lord by doing that. He glorifies the Lord by setting a clear division between the tares and the wheat, as we just read. So let's look at the text. We'll read all these verses, but really we'll only get through verse um, 21 today. So 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 27, if you would, and if you're able, would you please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. This is holy, inerrant, inspired Scripture, God's Word to His people. It says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning." If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. This is the promise which he himself has made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and write it upon our hearts. You may be seated. Let's join together and ask the Lord's blessing on our time as we study his word. Our great God, you are in the heavens, the sovereign ruler, the king of kings, the lord of lords. You rule and reign. All things are in subjection to you. You are the author, the creator, and the sustainer of all things. If not for your creative and sustaining power at work, everything would cease to exist. So, Lord, we come before you and we acknowledge your authority. We acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your power, your holiness, your righteousness, your justice, your wrath, your mercy, your grace, your compassion, your patience. And Lord, your unfailing love. How grateful we are, O God, for life in Christ. For we are all but sinners, those who have fallen short of your glory, those who are dead in trespasses and sins, but because of the great love with which you have loved us, you have made those of us who are your elect justified, adopted children of the Most High God through Christ. Lord, we thank you for our Savior and for his work at the cross through which we are justified if we but come in faith and repentance. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you give to enlighten our hearts and our minds and to illumine the scriptures to us. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in us in power today. God, if we were to strive to understand and to apply the scriptures in our own strength, it would all be for naught. But Lord, by your grace, through your spirit, we ask and pray that you would write your word upon our hearts that you would break us over our sin, that you would bring us to repentance, and you would transform our lives, conforming us to the image of your beloved Son. Lord, I must confess that my own mind has been all over the place this morning. With all the distractions we've had, I pray that you would help each one of us to focus our hearts and our minds now on your word. May it be instructive to us. May it be corrective to us. May it be encouraging to us. May it exhort us and press us on in our faith. Lord, again, we ask that you would do all of that by the powerful working of your spirit. Give us humble hearts, Lord, that desire to receive and apply the truth. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, our prayer is that you would receive all glory this morning. I pray that you would plant your word deep in our hearts and cause it to bear fruit. And by that fruit, Lord, would you be glorified. Would you give us a greater devotion to an affection for Christ, our great Savior and Redeemer. Would you show us Christ? Would you draw us to Christ? Would you keep us in Christ? Lord, we pray all this according to your will, for the sake of your glory, in and through the powerful name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We ask all this for your sake. Amen. So as John often does in his writing, he really doesn't leave us to wonder what is his main point? What is he getting at in this section? And I think if we were to look at verses 26 and 27, which Lord willing, we'll do in depth next week, we would see that his purpose is to call the church to identify the deceivers who are anti-Christ, and we'll get into what that means in a little bit. He is encouraging the church to be separate from the world. He is calling us to live differently than the world lives, and he's exhorting us to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in the truth. And friends, none of these ideas are popular today. If, if you would label those who oppose Christ as antichrist, as John does in Holy Scripture, you will be labeled mean. You will be labeled harsh. You you will be undoubtedly called all kinds of negative things because you do exactly what Scripture does. If you were to encourage the Lord's people to be separated from the world, and John makes no bone about it, When, when he talks about they went out from us because they were not of us, there is no hesitation in this instruction and this call for the church to be separate from the world. If you do that today, you will be called a separatist, a Puritan, a fundamentalist, and maybe we could argue that those are all actually compliments, but surely coming from the world, they are anything but positive statements. Then we have the idea of abiding in Christ and walking in the Holy Spirit according to the truth, pursuing personal holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Surely you'll be called self-righteous, legalistic, closed-minded, arrogant, prideful. But again, Scripture calls us to these things. John reserves no clarity, and he reserves no division in his writing. John concludes that this instruction to the church is greatly needed because of the deception of those who are false. And surely we can look over the last few years and understand that there is great deception in the world. It's great in the world, and really it's even greater within the so-called church because Satan aims his greatest attacks at the church. He doesn't need to go after the world because the world already answers to him, the father of lies. So he brings this great deceptive attack against God's people. You notice how even as John is so focused on this important topic that he doesn't lose his Christological focus. So so let's just hold that in our mind as we're going to be looking at some specific instruction and specific things that we must do that are very temporal and immediate nature. But we must not lose this focus on Christ. Everything comes back to Christ because Christ is the one that John loves. Christ should be the one that you love. The division is clear, and it's those who love Christ and who confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, and those who oppose, those who are anti-Christ. It becomes clear that those who love Christ will love what Christ loves. You say, what does Christ love? Christ loves his bride. Christ loves the church. Christ is ultimately about His glory and the glory of the Father, but that is brought about by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being set apart, being washed, being made holy, and being made like the Savior. Those who know Christ are marked by His Spirit. That's what John is talking about when he writes of this anointing. You have this anointing from the Holy One. It's the Holy Spirit alive and at work in you. I think the plainest summary uh, of John's high view of Christ could be boiled down to saying that Jesus and truth go hand in hand. If you have Jesus, you walk in the truth. If you walk in the truth, it's only because you know Christ. So let's narrow this in, set our focus, and start working through this important passage of Scripture. John says that despite its unpopularity in our age, we must evidence life in Christ by separating from those who oppose Christ. We do that by holding to the truth and walking in the Spirit. So it is going to be unpopular, but you, dear church, must be separate from the world, and you must be separate from those who claim to be in Christ when their lives evidence something different. And you do that by holding to the truth and walking in the Spirit. That's really almost always the answer when, when we look at Scripture. The answer to what we must do is that we must submit to the truth and walk by the Spirit. And that's John's point again today. I read a quote from MacArthur yesterday that said, The greatest danger facing the church today is the lack of discernment. Now, you know MacArthur, that could have been back in 1969 or it could have been literally this week. And I think the statement rings true. One of the greatest dangers facing the church is a lack of spiritual discernment. And what the Apostle John sets forth for us today is what we need to discern and how we need to discern it. We need to characterize these antichrists, we need to see this portrayal so that we can identify them and be separate from them. And then in verses 20 and 21, we'll see that we do that by walking and and practicing this anointing of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verses 18 and 19. Antichrist characterized this portrayal of those who are Antichrist. John says, children, it is the last hour And just as you'd heard that Antichrist, and you know, a singular Antichrist is coming, he says, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from this we know that it's the last hour. And they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So the first thing I want to do is just kind of define and describe this idea of antichrist. You know, get an idea uh, of what it means so then we don't have to kind of caveat everything we say. So antichrist, prepare yourselves for some deep Greek study here. Antichrist is the Greek word antichristos, antichrist, brought directly into the English through transliteration. Now, this is not those that Jesus would describe as false Christ. That's a different word, pseudo-Christos. Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead many, if possible, even the elect. So these false Christs, they don't deny the existence of Christ, but rather they claim to be the returning Messiah. They set themselves up as Christ. That's a false Christ. But John writes about anti-Christ, those who oppose Christ, those who really, what we'll see, deceptively set themselves out against the true teaching and the true doctrine and the true person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. makes that clear. John says, these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So don't look at this work of Antichrist and think that it's just some clear outworking. Yes, sure, it will happen. There are those who will outright deny that Jesus is the Messiah, but that's not what John has in mind here. It's these who who sneak their way into the church to try to lead many astray. There's dictionaries helpful. It says that the Antichrist employ corrupt power and influence that's hostile to Christian interest. They especially do that which is, this power is especially that which is at work in false teachers who have come, Thayer says, from the bosom of the church and are engaged in disseminating error. These are people who integrate themselves into the church and they try to lead the church astray. They try to propagate error and falsehood They oppose the words and the teachings of Christ, but they don't outright openly deny Him. You know, this is where thorough doctrinal belief and devoted practice of that belief then becomes important, because that's how we're separated from these who, who will claim mostly right things, but then they go live just ever so slightly contrary. So, you must know the truth, and you must practice the truth. Your doctrine must produce a life that is set apart from falsehood. Your, your life and your doctrine must distinguish you from those who would come within the church and just propagate, the, just mix in these little bits of error to deceive and to lead many astray. And so again, that's the, the Antichrist here. And John also wrote about the kind of the chief and summary Antichrist, and you see that mentioned in places like Daniel 7 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13. 2 Thessalonians 2 4 describes this as the man of lawlessness and says that he opposes and exalts himself above every so called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So that's the chief Antichrist. He basically is a, a pseudo-Christ, a, a false Christ, one who sets himself out to be equal to God. But the Antichrist, which is John's main focus here, are these who come in and seek to deceive and to lead many astray. And John has a lot more to say about these Antichrists and how we respond to them and how we identify them and how we can mark them and know them. And the first thing that he says is that these Antichrists are a sign of the times. Children, it is the last hour. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared, and from this, we know that it is the last hour. What marks the last hour? It's the the propagation of evil and sin and falsehood. That is commonly taught throughout the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul said the Spirit explicitly says in later times that some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That is the last days. Peter also writes about the last days. 1 Peter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of your prayers." The Apostle James in James 5.8, he talks about the fact that the church must be strengthened in their hearts as the end draws near. Why is this? What is coming at the end of the day is it's difficulty. It's hardship. It's oppression. It's persecution. It's the fact that you will stand up and identify yourself with Christ, and you will be hated. Evil men and imposters will proceed, Paul says, from bad to worse. Doesn't get better. It gets worse. Men will be lovers of self. They will be obstinate. They'll be haters of good, disobedient to parents. They will love all that is evil and wicked. And some of them will be those who once outwardly held to the truth, but inwardly their hearts remained hard and unchanged. And as we think about this, these antichrists that come and What marks these days that the end is near, dear friend, we must realize that you can't wait until this difficulty is at your doorstep to to plant your flag and be ready to stand firm and to be ready to be of good courage and of sound judgment and sober spirit. Rather, you must prepare today. You must ready yourself today to have your life lived in accordance with the truth of God's Word and submit yourself so Fully to the truth that when the attacks come, it's not even an option to waver. It's not even a choice to say, well, maybe I'll teeter-totter on this a little bit to, to, to gain the approval of men and maybe not be hated. Maybe I won't have to be in prison if I don't stand upon this truth. Maybe they won't take my life if I'll just renounce a little bit of the deity or the humanity of Christ. No, you stand upon the truth, and you better do that today. You better prepare your life today, because when the attack comes, if you think you're going to prepare yourself in that moment, you will fall on your face, you will give in to the temptation to sin, and you will be like Peter, denying your Savior. And Then, if the Lord is gracious, you will experience that brokenness and that repentance that Peter knew after he denied Christ So the Antichrists are deceivers. They're a sign of the times. And then John also says that they are visible. Children, it's the last hour, and just if you had heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. They are visible, they are apparent, and they are manifest. And you say, okay, well, how is that? If they're deceitful, how are they apparent? It's because of their lives and Their actions. Must realize that there will be those who will be deceivers. And we must be careful, right? Because that could be something that would puff us up. This, This thought that, oh, we've got all the answers. We're not deceivers, and therefore anyone who disagrees with me must then be deceived or a deceiver. We must hold to the truth, right? Rather than hesitating and being too timid to take this stand dear friend, we must stand upon the truth. We must understand what Paul says in Philippians three eighteen and 19, that these are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. What a clear distinction. What a clear description. Enemies of the cross of Christ, he said, their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their glory is their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. We must see with clarity, we must see with reasonableness, we must see with charity, with grace, but we must be irrefutably clear about this fact that Antichrist are present and they will seek to deceive even and especially the church. So we've covered a lot of ground on the Antichrist, and then John kind of paints a picture, We've kind of described what they are, and then he paints a picture in verse 19, and it's a hard picture. It's hard to to read when you think about relationships that you've experienced over the course of your life. Verse 19, John says, they went out from us. They left us. They were not really of us, If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So let me give a very clear statement before we dive into that. It is not always antichrist. It's not always antichrist to leave a church, to leave a church in the right manner or for the right reasons. There are reasons that you leave a church. And I think we can even make the statement carefully that it's not always antichrist to leave a church for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way. And I want to clarify that: if you are going to leave a church in the wrong way, and you are just upfront and clear about your motives, and you say, "I, I don't like that y'all practice church discipline," "I don't like that y'all hold to the doctrines of grace," okay, then that's not antichrist. You're wrong. You're probably sinning because you're leaving somewhere where truth is taught and lived out. But you're not being antichrist, you're being open. Antichrists, as we see in the text, are deceivers. That, though, there are also good reasons to leave a church. If the truth is not taught, if the truth is not practiced, if there's not genuine accountability among the saints, if the church doesn't practice church discipline, if they practice worship in a manner that doesn't honor the Lord in accord with Scripture, those are all good reasons to leave a church. But what does John say here? He says, they went out from us because they were not really of us. They went out because they didn't belong. And this is a telling mark of Antichrist and those who oppose the doctrine of Christ and his teaching. They can't remain inside a genuine fellowship of believers. That is one clear way to understand and to describe and to identify those who are Antichrist. They cannot stand to remain within a genuine fellowship of the saints. It's because they don't belong. They refuse to enjoin themselves to the fellowship of God's people. They might be participants, but it's always begrudging participation. It's always guarded. It's always this distance in fellowship. You know, maybe they will involve themselves a little bit, but you notice it's always on their terms, They'll do it in the way that they want, and sometimes you find those who even will only do it on their turf, in their own home, in their own life, in the way that they want to do it. That is how they remain outside the fellowship, but start to pull people away to themselves and propagate their false teaching. I want to pause there and just ask a question to point this internal to us. If Antichrist are known by their begrudging fellowship with the church, Would your fellowship, would your life, would your participation in the church be described as joyful or begrudging? Is it something you have to do? Or simply, I mean, this is a childhood, a childlike illustration. Is it something you have to do or is it something you get to do? Do you have to get up on Sunday morning to come be with the saints to worship the Lord? Or is it the great privilege of your life to gather together to worship with the saints? Do you have to bookend your Sunday by coming back for corporate worship or corporate prayer and Bible study and fellowship, or is it a great joy to come and be with the saints? Do you want to be with the church and to fellowship and to be accountable, or is it a challenge and a drag and a difficulty to you? You can see what marks those who are anti Christ. With all this in mind, again, I want to be clear, and we need to speak, and we need to think, and we need to act in this sense, in these cases, with utmost charity and with utmost grace. Okay, because we are not those who just get to make demands that, oh, you must do this, you must homeschool. You must practice family worship this many times a week. You must attend this many church services in a year. You must go to these conferences and listen to and read these pastors and preachers and books. We can't demand assimilation that you come and you must do everything like we do. Can't be so close-minded as to say that it's our way or the highway. What we can say, what we must say, is that the truth is the truth. God's Word is clear. God's Word is the authority, and we can say then with biblical authority, to live on the outskirts of the church is not biblical. It's not submitting to God's command. It's what antichrists do. Don't live as an antichrist. Join yourself in together with the deepest fellowship that you can possibly find in the local church. you're in Christ, you will identify with His bride. You will love His bride. You will join your life to His bride. And you'll do that joyfully and openly and unreservedly. And this is the first step, I think, in going from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. If you cannot If you refuse to join yourself deeply to the local church, dear friend, you've really never passed go in in this advancing in godliness, in this growing from infancy to maturity, because you can't grow beyond your life in the local church, because the church is the Lord's primary means to sanctify His people. And those who are not in Christ, those who are enemies of the cross, as Paul said, they avoid all of this. Then eventually, they go out from us because they're not of us. So what's your role in this? What's my role in this? It's accountability. It's involvement in the life of the church. It's loving confrontation of sin. If someone leaves our number, dear friend, may it never be because you or I were harsh or unloving or refusing to hear a repentance of sin, a turning from sin, may it never be because we've displayed some kind of sinful pattern and are unwilling to change. What about the one who refuses accountability? What about the one who doesn't want to be part of the genuine fellowship of the saints? They went out from us because they were not of us and it's hard to say, it's hard to consider, but it's biblical. These people are of a different nature. They have different goals. They serve a different master. They are part of a different kingdom. Again, there will be those who mistakenly leave a healthy church, There will be those who leave a church for good reason or for the sake of going to serve in another place, and as the Lord wills and leads in that, we just rejoice in it. But there are also those who leave in a huff they get angry, they get upset. They don't want genuine accountability. They don't like our biblical stance on some doctrine or on the practice of church discipline or the accountability that we strive to have with one another in our personal day-to-day lives, and they get angry and they leave. And the Lord allows this to happen. He allows this to happen so that it would be, John says, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. The word shown at the end of verse 19 indicates a plain, clear revealing of something. So the Lord allows people to leave a fellowship of a good, healthy, biblical church to make it plainly evident that they don't belong there. So we have to understand this. Dear friend, you must not become calloused about this. As we live in a difficult day where many are going to be like that soil that is on the, the, the seed that falls on the rocky ground and it springs up and then it just withers because there's no deep roots. There's going to be many like that in our day. So we can't be callous to this, but we must think biblically about it. Distinction is good. Division and departure, dear friend, are never the Lord's goal division within the bride of Christ, and departure from the bride of Christ is never the Lord's goal. What did Jesus say? The world will know us by our love for one another. The world does not know us by how many Reformed Baptist churches we can have in one little town. They know us by our love. The reason that we, one of the reasons that we struggle in evangelism, we said last week probably we don't pray enough. Let me tell you what, we also probably don't love enough. The world sees that you belong to Christ because you love one another. It's evident in your life. So let me sum this up into a positive charge and then we'll kind of move forward into verses 20 and 21. Your friend, we must plant our lives in the local church. We must let the fruit of our love for and devotion to Christ be evidenced by our love for His people and our devoted involvement with and service to His kingdom through His church. To not do those things, John says, is anti-Christ. It shows that you oppose Him. If you can't remain with the church and you go out from the church, it's because you were not of the Lord's people. So in a single sentence, plant your life in a biblical local church. So what's our response then? You know, we've talked a lot about specifically these antichrists, but let's take it and circle it back and and look inward. How do we respond? Verses 20 and 21, we're going to see the anointing practiced. So the antichrist characterized and then the anointing practiced. Verse 20, but you have an anointing. From the Holy One. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So, this is our response to the Antichrist, and we have to begin again by describing and defining a term, the word anointing. It's kind of really confusing on the surface, but we'll dig in, and I think it will all make sense. Look at verse 27. John says, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. The anointing that you received from him abides in you. What, dear friend, abides in you that you received from the Lord? It's the Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. But you will know him because he abides with you. And he will be in you. So, the anointing that you've received from the Holy One is the Holy Spirit. But then, uh, so that's clear, but what else can we draw from this term? You know, anointing literally means probably what you think about when you hear something is being anointed. It's that idea of covering or rubbing an oil or an ointment on something, it's the idea of smearing something in so that. All the cracks are, are, are filled in. The King James uses the word unction here. And if you grew up maybe in a Southern Baptist church, you've probably heard this, this word unction. And we've seen it in practice. You know, if you think about unction in regards to preaching. You know, somebody I think we would probably all agree that preaches with unction would be somebody like John O. Sims. A brother who just preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the evidence that he's been with the Lord and in the Word, and the Spirit is just coming forth in him, out of him in power. Power is not of yourself, but it's the Spirit at work in you. And so that's what John is saying, is that you have the anointing from the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. So John is soothing the saints here. He's just told them, you're going to face Antichrist. They're going to attack the church. They're going to bring all of Satan's power against you, but you have the Spirit. You need not worry about the attacks of the world because the Spirit of God captains your life. Dear friend, what captains your life? Who captains your life? Are you the captain? It's your fleshly desires, your emotions, things of the world, your feelings... Or are you led by the truth of God and the Holy Spirit of God? If it's the Spirit who is your leader and your, and your captain, you're the one who leads you in the way, you don't have to fear these antichrists. You don't have to fear because the Spirit will give you all the strength that you need when the time comes. John says, you have the anointing from the Holy One and you all know. So again, that's an important distinction John enjoins knowledge to the working of the Holy Spirit. You know the truth and the importance about being faithful in light of the attacks of the evil one. The Spirit fills believers with the knowledge of the truth, and we'll get to it in a moment, but I think that really does mean all truth. There is a component of the Spirit's work in us and the work of discernment that is even beyond spiritual things of the Bible, but just looking at the world around us. Because all the world is either God's or Satan's. Everything is about this battle between good and evil and God and the devil. And and so discernment practiced is not just in your understanding of the scripture, but in every area of life. Any person can gain knowledge, but a spirit-led, spirit-empowered life turns that knowledge into wisdom, takes knowledge from the head, and leads it to heart application. So you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. That is the Lord's work in applying His Word in our lives. John presses on. He says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Do you see the, the outworking and the goal of his, his writing here? John is not just trying to impart knowledge. He says, I'm not just writing because you don't know, but because you do know and because no lies of the truth. I'm writing so that you apply the truth. The purpose of John, much like a, the purpose of a sermon or a Bible study lesson, or your own personal Bible study at home is not just to transfer knowledge, but that you know and apply the truth in your own life. Think about what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. The goal of our instruction, he doesn't say is knowledge, he says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the goal of instruction, a transformed life. MacArthur says, the goal of preaching truth and warning of error is to call people to true salvation in Christ. He continued that this produces a love for God from a purified heart, a cleansed conscience, and a genuine faith. The goal of our instruction is a transformed life. True preaching and true teaching is exactly what John shows here. It's clear, it's consistent and it's convictional. It's from personal conviction, and it leads to conviction. It's something that the preacher really believes in. He's not just up here putting on a show, but he believes in this truth, and that it must be applied to our lives if we are to live to the Lord's glory. And then it does just that, not because the preacher convinces you of your great need to apply this, but because the spirit of god softens your heart and changes and transforms your life john says that we must know we must not only know the truth but we need to know that no lie is of the truth no lie concerning jesus his messiahship or his commands could possibly be of the truth Antichrist, then, kind of flowing out of that, are often liars themselves just in general. And they are perpetuators of lies. And again, no lies of the truth. This is the clear distinction that we must see. Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Truth cannot enjoin itself to error. No liar is of Christ. We must be people of truth, every truth, all kinds of truth. You can't be one who goes out and just takes in all the lies that you see from the media and and you just kind of drink it in, knowing that it's probably not true, but you're just going to accept it anyway, and then think that you can suddenly flip a switch and get into the spiritual realm and stand upon the truth when you're being attacked by Satan himself. Can't be a lover of God's truth and constantly buy into lies and falsehood. We don't need to remain passively ignorant of the truth. Dear friend, do you hear that? You need to actively seek out the truth in every situation, in every circumstance. The thing about that, I don't know if people would think that's an overapplication of what John says here. I don't. I, th- I think it's exactly what he has in mind as he keeps diving and digging deeper? How would you pursue spiritual truth against spiritual powers of Satan when you can't even discern something as simple as the lies that you see on TV or online or the lies that your child tells you? If you have zero discernment, even in simple things, how are you going to discern truth from error in the spiritual realm? Loving the truth of Scripture leads to loving truth in every respect. No lie of any kind, no lie in any realm accords with the truth, and God is the God of all truth. Satan seeks to promote his lies through worldly systems and worldly things, and so a mature Christian is a broadly discerning person. Even in less spiritual things, if you're a mature and maturing follower of Christ, you need to have a broad level uh, of separating truth from lie, truth from error. Because it's only going to get more and more difficult. What you see out in the world is easy compared to when Satan's attacks come to the church. So dear friends, we must pursue the truth valiantly and wholeheartedly. We must do so in love and in gentleness and with patience and with humility. You must remember the proverb, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You must not only remember that, but you must practice it. And Dear friend, let me tell you, that's easier said than done, especially when you're standing up against things that you know are lies and falsehood but you must do it because Scripture commands it. Say it again. A gentle answer turns away wrath. but A harsh word stirs up anger. And we, we could talk for hours about application of that. May we go from here thinking about this text and the importance of being separate from the world and being separate from these antichrists. May we go with a resolve to do that, but with a resolve to do it with gentle answers that turn away wrath. We need to be humble and bold. We need to love the truth and stand against lies. We need to walk by the Spirit according to the truth of God's Word. You know, you think about where this comes within John's epistle. What did he just tell us in the previous section? Do not love the world nor the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't love the world. Don't be like the Antichrist who hate the church and leave the church and go out to the world because they love the things of the world. Rather, root your life in the church and with God's people. Give your life in service to the Lord. Serve him with gladness, all you people. Sing to him with joy. Give of your every strength to serve the kingdom of God in and through his exact means, which is the local church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. Hold to the truth and practice it. Next time, we'll pick up, Lord willing, at verse 22 and following, and we'll see how these liars are condemned. We'll see their condemnation. We'll see the promise of life for those who are true, those who abide in Christ by the Spirit. And we'll see John's final charges in light of this truth. So may we walk in a way that honors the Lord. May we live our lives in such a way that we practice and love the truth. And we do that for His sake, we do it for His glory, and we do it through the anointing that we have through the Holy One, the Holy Spirit of God who abides in us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would write Your Word upon our hearts. We ask that Your truth would be clear and that that we would um, be convicted by it, that we would be convicted about the importance to live convictional lives. Lord, I pray that you would plant your word deep in our hearts and that you would cause it to bear fruit. May we be a people for your possession, people who are passionate for your glory. May we be a people who loves what Christ loves knowing that Christ showed his ultimate love when he laid down his life for the church, his bride. May we do that. May we be those who reach out to the ones who are in darkness, the ones who are enveloped and taken by falsehood. May we have humble hearts, patient hearts. May we be gracious in our speech. May we understand, as your word clearly tells us, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Lord, help us to walk in a way that pleases you, we ask, through your Spirit and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.